Well, today we wrap up, or I should say this week we wrap up, the last episode of the Marta Warner series. We hope you enjoyed the first four episodes, which discussed ah, the experiences of a young girl growing up in Nazi Germany, having the rights progressively and sometimes abruptly taken away from them, and, and what it was like during the war to be bombed out of cities, to be a refugee. So now in this final installment, episode five, we talk about things that aren't as tragic as what you've heard in the first four episodes. Primarily, now this is the post-war in Germany. What was it like for the average German citizen to experience occupation? And I'm not saying that her experiences are emblematic of what happened across Germany, but they're her experiences, and they happened. And so we're going to kick off this final installment by having Marta talk directly to the first time she saw the American occupiers march into Frankfurt. The Americans came. We got back to Frankfurt towards that very end. They were still bombings, but like maybe two, three weeks and then it stopped, and then the troops start marching in. And the first Americans I saw was a company of black men. I'm a kid. I had no idea what a black man is. Mm -hmm. These people are marching with rifles and they are marching over here with a rifle point this way and those walking over here are pointing the rifle this way. And they're brown. They're not black. They're brown. Sure. Their skin is brown. Mm -hmm. And it's not all the same shade. Mm -hmm. They are lighter and darker and really dark and really light and really dark. And I'm at that bedroom window and I'm looking out and I'm seeing that. And I'm scared shitless. Excuse my language. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. what do you expect? Yeah, of course. What we had been taught in school, my imagination was of peoples other than Germans to be like Martians. Mm -hmm. What we see on TV about foreigners, aliens, okay, that's what my mind was telling me about British, American, and French. So now these Americans are black. Hello! Choo! That brain of mine is turning in every direction. Yeah, I mean, the reason I wanted to play this clip is, one, to remind people that, you know, culturally, we evolve over time. And back in the 40s, you know, Marta was this young girl suffering the ravages of war, pumped full of propaganda her entire life. 
and and not you know ev- everyone in in what the German people were told that pretty much if you weren't a German you were a barbarian. Mm-hmm. I mean they were calling the Americans mongrels because we were so quote unquote racially impure because of our immigrant heritage. That's what was being said of the Americans, right? And so yeah. The first thing she sees is something she has never seen before in real life, and those are black soldiers. And I wanted to stop to talk about the black soldiers for a second because they don't get enough recognition for the role that they played, especially at the end of the war in Europe. So by the time the Battle of the Bulge occurred in December of 1944, the United States was already suffering a bit of a manpower shortage. And the United States still had a very much a segregated military where blacks were not allowed to be in any sort of combat role, just support roles, and sometimes not even that. But the manpower shortage was so acute that there were black combat units in the United States that, uh, that the United States wanted to ship over to Europe so that we had enough people to win the war and to occupy these countries. And General Patton gets credit for being um, with his third army, and they're the ones that liberated uh, Frankfurt in 1945, spring of 45, he gets credit for uh, accepting these black soldiers. And in fact, I've got a quote from his. This this is in quotes. This is from the NationalWorldWar2Museum.org website. And this is about an all-black tank infantry battalion, the 761st tank infantry battalion and they were called the black panthers they were an all-black tank unit and when they landed on the beach and then made it to Patton's unit in october 10th of 44 just before d-day he was quoted as saying men you're the first negro tankers to ever fight in the american army i would never have asked for you if you weren't good I have nothing but the best in my army. I don't care what color you are, as long as you go up there and kill those kraut sons of bitches. (laughs) (laughs) This is Patton, right? (laughs) Everyone has their eyes on you and is expecting great things from you. Most of all, your race is looking forward to your success. Don't let them down, and damn you, don't let me down. (laughs) So... I actually I read a book years ago on this tank battalion. It was written by Kareem Abdul Jabbar, the basketball yeah. player. Yeah. It's called Brothers in Arms. And here's a little bit of tidbit for some of what the, some of these black combat soldiers that she would have seen had been through. So for example, the 761st Tank Battalion, they had been an organization since 1942. They were training down in Louisiana. And because they weren't, quote-unquote, fit to fight in combat, what they did with these black units is they actually used them in training exercises where the white units that were going to get transferred overseas would train against these black units. And these, these, these black infantry and tank units would pretend to be the Germans or the Italians or the Japanese, and the Americans have to maneuver around them. What they ended up doing was creating a, an elite force. Right? I mean, you've got, you've got for what, two years, you've got this force doing nothing but training, learning their tanks, learning their craft. And so by the time they got to Europe, they just kicked ass and took names. And the 761st was served with distinction mm-hmm. uh, in, in the European theater uh, for, the, for, for the skill, their valor. And I give Kareem Abdul Jabbar a lot of credit. Some of the uh, descriptions of battle that he has in that book are second to none. 
And, um, and I'll add one little tidbit as well. One of the members of 761st who did not make it overseas because he protested about being forced to sit in the back of the bus as a, as a, as a black soldier in 1944, that soldier's name is Jackie Robinson. Hmm. And he would be the, um, ah, some people say second, some people say first, uh, uh, all black uh, or, or black um, uh, baseball player to break the color barrier uh, and of course, he's a Hall of Famer, an amazing human being. So there's a lot of history behind these black units that went in there. And I want to share this with the audience, that the men that made it, um, especially the black soldiers, had to endure more because of racism to make it to where they were, and they fought with distinction in the war. Mm. Wow, that's great. So that that's really all I have on that, Ron. I wanted to kind of share that with the audience. But um, if, if you don't have anything to add, we can roll through some more of the um, experiences she has as these uh, Americans roll through and occupy the country. I was just going to say, I mean, I, I think the thing that I wonder if what went through her mind when she noticed the black soldiers walking down the street um, was, I wonder if she thought for a second, wow, everything they said was true. No. <laughs> you know, everyone's going to be a Martian compared, you know, compared to the German, you know, and yeah. And then she sees, you know, a black soldier who she'd never seen a black person before in her life. And she probably thought for a second, well, wait a second, maybe, you know, for for a minute there, she probably had a little bit of like, you know, uh, everything else she had learned had been had gone up in flames. But this appears to be something that that kind of rings true for, for in her mind, you know. And let me add to that. When yeah. the Americans came through or the allies, they were well fed. Right. They were relatively freshly equipped because this was towards the end of the war. So we were pushing through. We weren't in a quagmire anymore. And the 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 uh, Germans, the villages, the cities we were occupying had been decimated. They had been starved to death. They were passing out in the streets. There's this quote from this German girl who describes when she saw the Americans come through her village, she said they looked huge and she thought mm -hmm. that they were like gods. Mm. Wow. So I guess, what, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is yeah, this, this was a, a, a major shock for a nation who had not been occupied. Look, the Germans were never conquered by the Romans, for God's sake. I mean, the Germanic tribe is a proud tradition of independence and having some of the, the best warriors and armies that the world had seen. So yeah, this was a shock to them. Yeah. I've been to high school and had English. So I could have conversations with these guys. Of course, it was, the English wasn't as well as good as it is now, but it was English and I could understand what they were saying to the most part. Okay. So I could procure some food. So I got some sea rations this way. So I could hide the sea rations in my bed. And when everybody was, when my mother was asleep, my father was asleep, I could grab the sea rations and have something to eat. Oh boy, man, that was, that was neat. <laughs> <laughs> At this point in time, of course, there's no school. So at this point, had the war ended yet? And you were occupied, or was the war still going on? It was still going on. Okay. The Americans were now there. Yeah. So for me, there was no war. Because at this particular point in time, there was still fighting in Berlin, but Frankfurt was okay. 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 Um, 
going back in time. One of the things that's of interest, in, in, of interest to me, actually, with the breakdown in Germany, were a lot of people from Czechoslovakia, Poland, whenever forced labor. Hmm. Okay. When the Americans came, they let these people out. The first thing these people did was rape. The girl across the street from us were 12 or 13 guys over her. Which is interesting in a way. Because they, men, use sex as a weapon. I can't remember how we heard the war ended. Okay. But I do remember my mother had to be denazified. Oh. Oh, yeah, because she is, remember I told you, and in the beginning with the store, she had to be in the party in order for her to have the store. Okay, so now because of that, the 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 Americans came up with the idea entnazifizierung. Listen to that word, entnazifizierung. That's denazify the population. <laughs> so what, what did that entail? Huh? What did that entail? They have to go watch like movies and stuff. What did they have to do? Oh, they they had to go and and swear that they were not going to be a Nazi anymore. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That was it. Uh, what what are you going to do with the population? Uh, yeah. Okay. You know. So yeah, yeah. I remember that was funny. I think that's funny now. I. So let me get this straight. So so her mom has to join the yes. Nazi party in order to keep their business, which was a right. grocery store. And then the war, and she doesn't believe nope. any of it. Then she, then the war ends, and because she's a member of the Nazi right. party, she has to go through denazification. That's correct. That's correct. And, and you <laughs> know, like, we keep, we keep. Oh my gosh! And it's not like her mom has been through enough yet, totally. right? I mean, <laughs> and, 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 so the thing that cracks me up is that this, this, this sort of thing continues as a theme throughout history. So what the United States did when Germany finally surrendered, which is what that previous clip was about. If they were smart enough to recognize, yeah, we don't, we don't want to support a, a new Nazi state. We want them to, you know, um, I don't know, embrace more of a liberal democracy, which is what they ended up doing. That's what they were before. But at the same time, there were so many people that had to be in the Nazi party that if we just fired and got rid of everyone who was quote unquote a Nazi, you would never allow the country to recover. And in fact, the United States made a mistake. It's, I'm reading a book called Cobra 2 right now about some of the mistakes we made in Iraq. And one of them is when, I think it was Paul Bremer, um, he went into, so after we had conquered Iraq in Operation Enduring Freedom, so it would have been 2003 or four. We raced up from Kuwait uh, into Iraq. We had Baghdad captured. We were occupying it. What the, what the United States did was they debathified because it was the Bath Party, which, by the way, 
um, was modeled largely on the Nazi regime. It was no secret that Saddam Hussein was a Nazi sympathizer and a fascist. That's what the Baths were. And so what the mistake that we made was we just debathified everyone. We disbanded the Republican Guard. We Republican Guard disbanded their military. And then he had a bunch of young, pissed off people who didn't have anything to do and no way to make money. And, they, and the only thing they knew how to do was fight, take up arms, and be corrupt. And, uh, and we're still struggling with that uh, mistake to this day. So you just heard Marta talk about how ridiculous it is to know who was a Nazi and who wasn't. Now, we'd have the Nuremberg Trials. And we hung a bunch of people that did a bunch of bad stuff, right? So I think we were able to identify the leaders. But I think the United States made the right choice when they said, look, we can't, we can't put every German in prison because they remember the Nazi party. Sure. Can't. Right. How so, can you do that? But here's the yeah. thing, Ryan. So the dad's back. The war's over. Where's their little brother? Next clip talks about that. When, when my father went to get my brother, that was after, after my mother was back out of the hospital. And he decided he wanted his family together again. So he went, and from what I understand, he got into the east zone through the woods at night and that's the same way they got out of the east zone was through the woods at night so your dad had this would this would have been after the war he would have had to go into the russian occupied zone to get your brothers correct correct again like i said at night and the woods woods are always handy (laughs) <laughs> Unless your outhouse is by them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all right. Oh. You didn't like that. <laughs> no, I didn't. I don't blame you. Oh, God. That's crazy, dude. I mean, this was like Cold War stuff here at this point. The Russian-occupied zone was not a place you wanted to hang out in. And her dad, who was not willing to pick up a rifle and fight the Russians, had the courage and the temerity to get back to his family and the same amount of courage to go back out east in not in in the uh, Soviet zone and sneak his son back home to Frankfurt. I thought that was pretty bossy. Uh, yeah, I wonder how far behind the lines he had to go to get to this town where his son was. You know, was it just a few miles or was it 40, 50 miles? I just I'm curious how far he had to go behind Russian lines essentially to 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 get his son. But yeah, I mean that's fantastic that that he was able to uh you know, to get his son out. I mean, just... Yeah, I I, I was... Who wouldn't do that? Who told, wouldn't do and it? And it's you know? another one of those things that during the interview, you know, we're just we're just listening to her talk, and all of a sudden she talks about her dad getting her brother, and it's like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Your mom left her brother, yeah. her five-year-old brother in Turingham, and I don't know where that is. I, I don't know how to spell it, and I tried to look on a map for it. I'm pretty sure it's in East Germany. It's not in Poland, but I can't find it. But at any rate, it's somewhere east that he had to go behind the uh, Soviet uh, lines, the zone of occupation, and get them back. And, um, and what we're going to do now is we're going to, to play um, some clips about, you know, now, now what happens to Marta? You know, here, here, here we are, you're occupied, the war's over. She's still a young woman, a teenager. 
Uh, now she's going to tell a little bit more about what happened in her life and how she reflects back on it. How did, how did that happen? How did you go from a uh, post-war Germany, a uh, young girl surviving that to, to being in here? I made a GI. Oh, okay. So you were a war bride? Yeah. Oh, okay. Do you feel comfortable talking about that? I think that's cool. Okay, maybe it's not. (laughs) 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 If you don't feel comfortable talking about it, it's fine, but... He turned out to be a wife beater. Oh, dear Lord. Oh, geez, okay. I'm sorry about that. Don't be sorry. That's three of our live foes. Yeah, okay. So one fine day, I had enough gumption to stand up. I was cutting meat. He came in. I knew, oops. And I went like this, one step closer. It goes through the gut, all the way down the back. Oh, jeez. He was six foot three, 235 pounds. And you're not. I was 98 pounds at the time. He didn't about turn and ran and never came back. Wow. Good for you. Wow. Actually, just in this short time, I've gotten to know you. I'm really not surprised that you did that. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised I waited so long. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm not surprised that he turned around and never came back. Right. <laughs> I came at that particular point in time. I came from destruction. And he was the light for a good future. Yes. A way that it didn't turn out that way, such is life. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's, it's neither here nor there. That's the way it works. It works sometimes. And uh, I was fortunate enough to survive that, survive that, survive him, and I'm here, and I'm still around. That's right. <laughs> Hell yeah, she is. Marta is oh a survivor. Oh she certainly is. <laughs> I mean, if that's not apparent by now, uh, her whole family is a family of survivors. Ooh, we need to clone her. We need to have... <laughs> More of Marta in our gene pool. I mean, dude, she, yeah. <laughs> she, she, you know, I mean, yeah, she's, um, she's in Germany. She meets a GI. She's thinking, Hey, this is a chance for a better life. Big, tall, strapping dude. I get to go to the United States. I don't need to worry about, you know, rebuilding a war torn economy. He'll take care of me. We'll have kids. We'll live happily ever after. And thousands of women from Europe, uh, did that. Um, and, and went back to the United States as war brides. And, uh, you know, it doesn't always have a happy ending, but man, the dude messed with the wrong woman, huh? She went after him (laughs) with a knife. Well, I mean, uh, think, think of the, uh, think of the strength and the, the, uh, the fortitude that she would have to have. I mean, like we mentioned, Marta is not a, a a tall person. She's, you know, maybe five foot tall. I don't know. Um, but, and at the time, you know, she's probably a similar height, you know, and this guy was what? Six foot three, two hundred. She weighed 98 pounds. pounds. She My weighed less goodness. than half of him. And she weighed 98. Um, 
But I think he must have known when she threatened him that that she meant it. Yeah, and, and he left. And, and also, not only <laughs> so that she he, meant it, but she was going to mean it forever. That there was no getting over this. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so she. Yeah, I mean, she would sure. go on to to have kids, and you know, one of her grandkids was actually there to introduce us, um, you know, to her and all that. So, uh, apparently, she worked that out, but. <laughs> I, 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 what we're going to do now is there's a series of clips that where she reflects back on war, on history, on the human condition, maybe a series of lessons. Uh, we think you should hear them. Here you are in your formative years from a young girl to a young woman, w- witnessing the collapse of the only world you knew. How did, how has that affected you throughout the rest of your life? How could you, I mean, has that, has that always created a certain degree of insecurity? No. Gratitude. I mean, what, how, how have you been able, how has that affected you as you've gotten older? I do not believe in any government. Yep. I look at it. I watch TV. I see what happens and they're all crooks to me. No matter where I go and how I look. Period. Okay? That's number one. Yeah. I do not believe in any premises by anybody in any position up there. To me, that's all big words. It means nothing. Mm-hmm. I listen to it, you know, and then I see what happens. Hello there. Mm-hmm. Okay? And all I see is repetition. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that's of interest to me, is the repetition. And I go back to history, and I go to the Egyptians, and I go to the Russians, and I go to South America, and it's always the same thing. It never, ever changes. Mm. One ass with big ears makes it. He subdues whatever is under him until he dies or gets killed. And then we start all over again. It never ever changes. And when I first came to America, that was one of the things I did, go to the libraries and read. And that was, oh, interesting. Oh, oh, I loved it. <laughs> the, uh, the, I'm not politically inclined in any way, shape or form in reality, but I, do get very upset when I see all of the bullshit that's going on and people fall for it. Yeah. That really bothers me a lot. Throughout history, there is continuous repetition. And what we always have is somebody, generally it's, it's a group. And whatever they have, they can convince the others to do their bidding. Mm -hmm. And you can see it in the schoolyard with a preschooler and the regular school, and you go watch, and you always will have this group of kids around this one person. Mm, That's true. Okay? And you will always have this one person to get two or three who will follow and then they become this group. 
and they will control a whole bunch. And you have that particular kind of ability that is there and will never go away in the population across the board. Yeah. You know, I was just going to say, you know, kind of following up on that a little bit, you know, how many times whenever you have, uh, you know, the, the people that are, you know, the, the men that are running for president here in the U.S., how many times do you, you know, it, it seems like the ones that always rise to the top are the ones that have the most personality, you know, the ones that, that can talk the smoothest, that have, you know, uh, you know, that sort of uh, charisma going about them, the ones that you, you kind of want that that should run for president don't make it because they don't have charisma but they would might be a fantastic president but because they're not a good communicator or because they don't look real good on TV or because they don't handle themselves out very well uh they just don't float to the top you know and uh that's kind of Dude, what's I, going on. I think times. you're right and it's sad the people most qualified yeah. to to lead in a benevolent way are the ones who human beings will not select to lead them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we're our own worst enemy. You know, we pick these people. I mean, they don't, they don't just come crashing in and say, we're taking over like Mad Max. That may have happened in the hunter-gatherer days, but since civil societies developed, when you had Hammurabi and Nebuchadnezzar and all these people, they had to have this cult around them. <laughs> people had to want to follow them, and they agreed to. So I... I'm going to use an analogy again, okay? So, uh, you know, people out there, if you've ever gone on a float trip or you've been canoeing, you know, and you're going down these, you know, these these streams and you're canoeing along and there's a fork in the river. There's like a little gravel island, okay? There's the big, wide, you know, slow path to the right, or you can go to the left underneath all the gnarly brush that's a fast stream. Which way do you go if you're a guy? You go, you take the most challenging route, you know, it's almost like it's human nature. You want some excitement. Maybe that's what we're doing here. You we, know? It's, it's like we crave a crisis. We need a crisis to give our lives legitimacy right. or something. Ah, that's too safe. That's too safe. Let's go this way. That looks interesting. Oh, holy shit. Well, well, oh. it's, it's, um, it's really interesting. The other thing that I thought was cool and it, it, it I think just going to set up the next clip is, um, how important it was for her to go to the library and read books from an American perspective, a different perspective than the inculcation she received as a young girl. And in this next to our last clip, I'm sad to say, um, she's going to talk a little bit about how that early exposure can be a little sticky if you can't get out of it. So she was still, she still had some of that inculcation. She still had to, had that with her. Well, I still do. Okay. We we you don't get away from it, you know, because my approach to everything is still a very direct, short, mm -hmm. sharp. You know, you just don't ever get away from that. Mm. Uh, you don't get ever smooth and sweet. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that, that was ever my style in the first place. But so, uh, so some of it will stay, you know. But I remember Elfriede wasn't sure whether or not some of the teachings were correct, mm. and some of them were correct. Mm. 
Some of them were right, if you look into history, because it's always repetitious. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I remember the clip being a little longer. I think I gave you the wrong cuts on it, but basically to set this clip up a little better, she goes, she goes back to Germany and meets her friend Frida, um, the girl that gave her cigarettes for currency to get food. Mm -hmm. And basically what she's saying is <laughs> that some of these early teachings, um, they, they couldn't shake. They were inculcated. It was stuck with them. Even she just admitted that they are to her to some degree. You know, the, uh, the, 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 the young prepubescent mind is a very plastic thing and can change a lot and absorb a lot and keep it with you. And it just goes to show why a lot of these regimes target you or use youth movements as a vehicle to solidify their political philosophies. They're doing it in Africa right now with the child soldiers, right? You, all over the world, that's a common theme. So I forgot what she had mentioned during that part. You remember she was back when you were when she was saying that that grooming was still there with her and her friend. What precisely, aside from the personality thing she's talking about, where she's a very sharp person and 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 everything, um, what what was she talking about with her friend uh, in that clip? Because I think I missed yeah, that it, part. Yeah, it, so she, uh, she goes back. She meets her friend Frida, um, and they're talking about you know the war and Hitler's rise to power. And um, she noticed that Frida has more of a hmm, an apologist approach to Nazi Germany and what happened than 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 she does, than than Marta does. Ah, okay. But then at the same time, Marta mm. says in that clip, "But geez, you know, I, 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 I still have uh, certain things that I learned when I was young that are difficult to shake." You know, and then she talks mm -hmm. about just being who she is. I'm not sweet. <laughs> I'm, I'm blunt. I'm to the point. I'm direct. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got um, we got one more clip, and I can't quite remember exactly why I pulled it. So let's just play this thing and see what's on it. We we get immersed in the cultural bath of our own American version of what happened. We very rarely are able to hear the perspective from someone like you who was who a civilian and was there. <laughs> I mean, um, it's it. Forget, think, think yourself back when you were 10 years old. Mm -hmm. Okay. You go to school mm -hmm. and you believe your teacher. Mm -hmm. You really believe your teacher. Okay. So now you are being introduced into a group of others your own age, and you all get to wear uniforms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, that's lots of fun, isn't it? Yeah. You think you're somebody special, right? Mm -hmm. So you start with that to get the idea of how the training went. Yeah. Just think of you as a kid how you would have followed, okay? And you would have followed because you didn't know any better at that point in time. I mean, everything is new, everything is absorbed, everything comes in, okay? And the only thing you know is how to be dependent on someone else at that point. 
as a the, 10 year old at that point in time in order to eat you gotta have mama mm-hmm. yeah exactly okay she washes your clothes she makes sure your meals are on the table and she helps you with your schoolwork okay and that's all she does because the outside influence gets to be very strong now and you start mama that's not the way it works the teacher said so and so okay yeah so and then mama goes to papa and she says you know something's going on and he says you better keep your mouth shut because we want to eat wow okay don't say anything just keep quiet hmm. or else we're not trying to be apologists for the Nazi party or the Nazi regime. Speak for me, and then Ryan can speak for himself. I, I think what I really enjoyed about this interview and being able to share it with our audience is to just allow us to have a little different perspective, to humanize, um, to, to listen to the cautionary tale. Someone who was once our enemy, an existential one at that, that whose whose regime did historically horrible things and to try to learn from Hills that Marta is able to share with us as someone who was at, at that place sucked into that vortex at exactly the age when the Nazi party was um, forming this next generation of Nazis and, and the way they think about the world. You know, I mean... I mean, what are your thoughts on this, Ryan? Well, um, it's probably been one of the deepest interviews, most thought-provoking interviews I've ever been a part of. Um, you know, to, to as I mentioned, to talk to someone who was on the business end of everything we threw at them, um, to talk to someone who was raised under the uh under adolf as she says and for her to see the big build-up throughout her formative years of the nazi you know uh you know of, of nazi germany the the aggression that came about starting in 1939 on behalf of hitler and then it all come crashing down just five years six years later uh that's a lot for someone to endure in the first 14 yeah. years of their life um, you know, I understand from her grandson that she has much, we've only scratched the surface oh with Marta. Um, I, I think we're going to try to do a follow-up interview with her, um, at some point here, if she's willing and we, and we hope she is because we, our society, I think needs to hear from more people like Marta. Um, she speaks from truth. It's not. Uh, people like, you know, myself or anybody that's on TV or radio or in the newspaper saying, oh, that can't happen. Oh, this can't happen. That was then. This is now. No, uh, anything can happen again. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just a different year on the calendar. And um, uh, I think there's a there's a lot that we have to learn from people like Marta. Uh, I seriously wish that um, she could get some national um, national exposure and someone on TV do some sort of like a hour-long interview with her 
because the things she has to say are so prescient. The other message that I got out of this is there comes a tipping point where it's no longer incremental, where it, it went from this thing that was changing and people were like, oh, I can tolerate that. Yeah, I can handle that to holy crap, these two huge new laws were passed because the Reichstag was set on fire, and now we don't have a president anymore, we don't have a Congress, we have a dictator, and that happened in one year with an intelligent, educated, <laughs> thoughtful society. Actually, I'll take it back. It wasn't just well, a year, Ryan. It was one event. It was the Reichstag fire. That is what allowed the regime to become uh, Nazified. And it was, by all accounts, a false totally. flag operation. So, yeah, man, this is this has been fantastic. Um, do you have any final words before we uh, uh, sign off? No, just that after I get off here, I'm going to go have a beer because I need to relax. I know. A bit. <laughs> this has been this has been uh, you know probably one of the most meaningful uh, series uh, and 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 people we've interviewed um, and. Uh, you know, I'm extremely proud that we're going to be able to to, to put this out. You know, um, we have to get Marta's approval. So after we get this, uh, you know, uh, recorded and Tony gets the series cut up here, we're going to let her listen to it. So if you are hearing this, that means she approved it. And uh, and and uh, be thankful that Marta uh, gave us approval to, to to release this. We hope we can have a lot more with her coming up because I think she has a lot. A lot of wisdom. I I agree, dude. Well, that's the end of the Marta Warner series. And we know that a lot of what we covered was uh, pretty heavy and in many cases politically charged. And people may have uh, a wide range of viewpoints on the various topics we discussed during this series. And we encourage dialogue. So if there's any elements of this that you want to discuss or share with us on Facebook, please do that. Please do that. Um, the sort of um, the, the sort of things that Marta experienced are things that plague human civilization since the first hunter-gatherer tribes were formed, and definitely since the first uh, quote-unquote civil societies developed thousands of years ago. So as we continue to say, let, let these lessons help guide us as we go forward. Let's identify things that we don't want to be a part of. Look for the canary in a coal mine that could bring us down certain roads that our society shouldn't go down. And let's make sure we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, like us on Facebook and also on the podcast that you listen to through a variety of different uh, podcast channels that are available. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Take care, everyone. Well, thanks for joining us. If you like what you hear, please like us at the Warrior Next Door podcast Facebook page. All of our interviews are archived at the Veterans History Project Library of Congress and also with our partner at Grand Valley State University in Allendale, Michigan. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.